Welcome to Deloitte's Future of Manufacturing podcast, the show where we explore major trends in industrial products and construction and all things Industry 4.0. Hello, everybody. I'm Vincent Rutgers, the Global Industrial Products and Construction Leader for Deloitte. And on today's episode, I'm interviewing Thomas Dubler, our Industrial Products and Construction Leader for Germany on the impact of COVID-19 on manufacturing in Germany. Thomas, it's great to speak with you today. Hey, Vincent, good to hear from you. Hope everything is well. So, Thomas, tell me, what, what's the impact of COVID-19 on manufacturing companies in Germany in the short term and, and, and maybe in the longer term as well? Yeah, that's a good question, Vincent. Uh, it's the question about the magic glass ball, but let me give it a try. I think up to now, everyone has understood uh, that the impact of COVID is um, a very severe one in terms of depth and breadth and, uh, and also in terms of length. And uh, so I think what we see at the moment, you know, short-term impact uh, in the manufacturing space is that uh, 90% of the companies here in Germany uh, report a disruption of their business. So almost everyone has a disruption in its business, you know, one way or the other. Uh, we see significant drops in the order books. Uh, in particular, resulting from uh, customers from Europe and the U.S. not ordering anymore or dropping already firm orders uh, in the back um, or shifting their arrangements into the future, which will put them on another kind of risk pattern, I think. Um, another number which is also very relevant in particular for the German market, uh, which is very reluctant to take uh, measures on people, uh, 15% of the companies here in Germany plan uh, to lay off people, which is a very, um, very hard, hard thing and a very interesting uh, number. Um, so that shows, you know, that, that people uh, see the severity of the impact and also see the length as a very serious um, thing here. So, so quite, quite heavy. I think one, one of the things that I like to point out here uh, that the impact is not evenly spread across the sector. Uh, it differs very much uh, about, uh, A, the, the end markets uh, which are served. So we see clients who are experiencing a little impact and are kind of basically moving ahead with projects and moving ahead with programs. Uh, for example, chainsaw manufacturer we have here at, uh, as a client, you know, has almost no impact, you know, on his revenue base and on his forecast. Others who are more serving, uh, in particular, the auto industry or the oil industry are, are more heavily impacted. So some of them experience a, a 90% revenue decrease uh, in April and probably a 70, 80% in May, which is quite a, quite a hit, right? Yeah. And, and I think the other one, which is also very, very much a, a distinguishing factor here is that uh, it also differs about the speed of recovery of the end market. So German companies in the manufacturing space typically serve clients in China, the US, and also the, the Europe, uh, in particular France and the UK. And we see the difference of, you know, how COVID impacts those countries, you know, the kind of the, the difference on the time scale and also the severity of the impact. So it will be interesting to see, you know, how this will impact the recovery of German clients, you know, depending on where their clients sit and how, how they are impacted. So, so quite a bit of a mixed picture. Not everyone is in the same uh, square. And we see our clients reacting totally different. So it's almost a unique uh, proposition per client um, that we see out there in the market. Yeah. Yeah, from, from, a, from, from a long-term perspective, uh, very interesting. That's not more the, the kind of the glass ball thing. Um, I, 
about 50% of the of our clients and the market here uh, expects a further reduction, a further drop in their order books going forward. So, so we haven't really reached the bottom here, uh, which makes the, the problem even bigger. Um, about a third of the clients are experiencing even more uh, a revenue drop uh, going forward. And um, when we think about a recovery, which is also always the interesting question, what kind of shape does this thing have? You know, is it more a V, a U, or an L? Um, it's at, at the moment, we see, you know, that people kind of lean towards a 12-month recovery period, but more to the longer end rather than the shorter end. This has changed quite a bit. Um, uh, in the same instance, the, the kind of the order book a decrease has also changed over the last four weeks quite a bit. It has almost uh, kind of come to a flip side, you know, how the people view the outlook. Interestingly, this is in a strong contrast to um, uh, to the current performance, you know, when you take current uh, performance in the last 12, 12 months, so to say, uh, the numbers are quite good, you know, but the outlook is really, really, really bad. No. That's uh, kind of consistent with some of the other countries, although we've also seen countries where the feeling is that things are picking up again. Um, but companies that um, you know are are still working or are still still delivering or starting up, you know, how do they deal with the um, you know to make sure that the health and safety for their own people is well secured? And have you also seen companies that have now focused more on digital investments and? solutions to make work from home or work for remotely and or work completely different? Um, how do you see that? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I mean, so, so number one, um, I mean, there's a quite a, a large set of regulations out there here in Germany, you know, how you have to deal with uh, health and safety uh, standards and, and issues. And uh, there, there's also some regulations out there, you know, if you don't, uh, so so you better do. And the combination of uh, a manufacturing value chain, and I particularly refer to the value chain activities, not so much about the, the, the office activities, but um, when you look into the, the value chain activities, most of that was in the past, you know, decades, very much trimmed to efficiency, productivity, and all these kind of things, you know. Um, and uh, so now you introduce something which is in contrast to that. Um, so you need to find a, another balance, you know, how you do productivity versus how do you ensure health and safety. Clearly, the latter one has the priority, absolutely. And what we see is that uh, that companies are, are introducing uh, concepts, you know, how they bring that to the assembly line, so to say. Um, you know, next to, you know, giving the people all the equipment they need to protect themselves, you know, um, protecting clothing uh, and so on, uh, disinfection material, um, train them, you know, in the use of that, train them, you know, how they have to behave, you know, and all these kind of things. Some of them have already programmed apps, you know, that they distribute to their um, to their people so that they have something at hand, you know, how they should really react to certain situations because the whole situation is very complex. When it comes to the to the production line, what we see is, you know, that that people have just, you know, for example, in a in a tech time environment, you know, people have just you know brought down the tech time, you know, or doubled the tech time to ensure that that health and safety standards can be met. There's other forms of organization, you know, where uh, the break times, you know, have been split, the shift, the shift uh, overlaps have been avoided, you know, those kind of things. So there's there's a lot of activity underway. Interestingly, 
most of that um, experience is immediately be shared amongst the community. So there's there's great sharing of uh, things that work, a great sharing of new experiences because this is all new to everyone, and everyone picks up on that. So that that's a great um, thing, you know, how a industry or how a sector collaborates on those specific things. So very very interesting to see that. Um, we're actually seeing, you know, that there's a particular area where um, Companies, I think, will will need to um, to excel a little bit um, because in the past, uh, I think the whole aspect of people capacity from a production standpoint uh, was something which was always there if it wasn't on vacation, so it was easy to plan, so to say. Um, this this has changed quite a bit, and this will change going forward. Uh, so it's not just about an issue in the production ramp up, you know which is a, an, an issue in and itself to coordinate everything, you know, from a supplier perspective over inbound logistics, the own production capacity and the own people capacity um, next to the delivery side. So th they need now to think more about, you know, uh, people capacity is probably more a variable going forward rather than being a constant. Uh, and this represents a specific challenge, you know, in the in the whole ramp-up uh, situation as well as in the situation going forward in the supply chains. Because I think we will have that uh, virus situation uh, around since we found any any medical uh, point, you know, that that helps against this virus. Um, so we need to prepare for that. So this is a new thing, and we're actually working on solutions to help them, you know, that uh, make sure that we interface the healthcare and the safety side of people uh, together with the production and the scheduling part of, of, of life. Right. And, and link to that, uh, you, 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 you know, to scheduling production and, and being resilient, uh, what you saw for some time, um, you know, when China stopped manufacturing, you could kind of predict when the last containers were arriving in Europe, and you saw right. manufacturing companies in Germany closing their factories, not because of Corona, but because of the fact that their parts were not coming from China anymore. So, do you think also, in, in link to what you just said around the, you know, approaching this from a digital perspective, do companies also need to think about their how to mitigate the risk in their supply chain and um, you know, and, and what do they have to think about when they restart their supply chains? Because some companies are now able to restart as China has started production again. Yeah, correct. Well, I mean, running a supply chain uh, in a normal environment is a very complex thing. If you think about a machinery, think about, I don't know, five, six, seven thousand parts, you know, you have so and so many variants, you know, which are driven mostly by, by, by customer demand. You have a bunch of suppliers spread around the world. You have tons of, of clients and customers around the world. So it's pretty complex, you know, and we have basically found for, for most of the situation, so-called optimum, you know, which is, you know, measured against those uh, market demands, the cost levels, you know, the, the flexibility levels that are required and so on and so on. Uh, th this has typically squeezed out a lot of the reserves, so to say, uh, out of supply chains, which are costly and which are not wanted uh, in the past, and which has kind of led to kind of supply chain structures which are probably more risky than others, you know, but they are very cost efficient, very productive, and very professional. So I think from an overall perspective, I think this, this, this needs to be re reworked, you know, so to say. I think we all understand that we not just need more uh, visibility uh, into our supply chains. I think that's actually what we desperately needed. I mean, there's big OEMs, you know, in the auto sector, for example, who have some sort of 
visibility downstream, uh, but the typical manufacturer doesn't have that so much. So I think this is one thing that we desperately lacked, you know, in the couple, you know, past weeks. And uh, going forward, I think this is something where people will invest, you know, kind of transparency and visibility of the extended supply chain, uh, which was always in the discussion and which was always needed. But uh, I think this time it's, it's going to become a big thing, you know, going forward. The other thing, which is, I think, more a structural thing going forward that, that also will happen, it's the reconstruction of the whole supply chain structure. Um, I mean, it also, was also under discussion because of automation, robotics, and all these kind of things. So labor wasn't a key driver anymore, like it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but this time, I think it comes in because of uh, resilient or non-resilient, basically. Um, and when you count the impact of what's actually happening because of those supply chains which are not resilient, uh, it, it really wipes out all the benefits that you have seen in the past years. So. And I think going forward, everyone has in mind that uh, those kind of um, kind of black swan, gray swan impacts, you know, will come probably more often or stay longer or something like that. So people will tend to build in or rebuild in more resilience, more reserves into their supply chain, which will uh, definitely lead to a different configuration in uh, in a manufacturing network. Uh, it will uh, lead to different logistic configuration. Uh, it probably will also uh, lead into something which is more the product configuration on a long-term basis, uh, because I don't think that the end markets, given the, uh, the the fiscal shock we're actually experiencing and the anticipated non-buying power going forward, I think the prices have no flexibility or no room to move up. So in order to digest those additional costs, I would guess, you know, that we need to rework a little bit our product portfolios, our product complexity and so forth, and the product design, you know, to have a, a, a lower cost base, so to say, to, to be designed into those things. I think those are the more long-term, more long-term aspects, you know, of the whole equation. The other aspects we're actually seeing is very interesting, and I talked um, about, uh, and on your first question, I talked about, you know, the, the differences in situations uh, across the clients and, uh, and the differences in the way they kind of cope with the, with the situation. Uh, we, we see uh, a lot of clients actually taking uh, the situation, and there's a I'm saying, we all know that, you know, that the, that the chances in such a situation are always as big as the threat, you know, from a theoretical perspective. Uh, and they take those chances, you know, to reconfigure their organizations, you know, at a time where uh, the environment is ready to take on such a challenge, you could say, you know, which is was not possible in the last probably eight to nine years, where everyone experienced uh, a time of um, uh, uninterrupted growth, you know. So what we see actually is that that people take on you know a reduced complexity from a company structure so they restructure their 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 company structures their uh the, the way they lead the company so to say the, the the way they look at companies and and so on they also look at certain projects and we are experiencing some key projects have not been stopped yet you know and that people desperately want to move on with these projects um, because it gives them uh, another competitive edge going forward, and, it, and, and everyone anticipates that those projects will help them uh, to be better prepared for what everyone calls the new normal, whatever that looks like. But it will certainly be a, a different situation than we have it today. For example, um, people invest heavily on the on the customer interface these days, and and I think we all know, you know, a situation like this 
I mean, you can save as much as you want, but I think there's also a need to look a little bit on the top line going forward, how you would um, focus your efforts on the top line, because, you know, I think you, you can't save all that money that you probably will lose without, you know, adding something new to the top line. And we all know that there is room to move and room to improve in the manufacturing space because we are not what I would call, you know, client or sales excellence like other sectors. So people are investing in this at the moment as we speak as a strategic opportunity. And, and we are helping them um, to, to move along that path, you know, even at times, you know, where we experience a crisis. So. Um, and this includes uh, investments into digital technology, into cloud, into transparency of things, into productivity, robotics, overhead costs, automation, those kind of things. Uh, this is actually what's high on the list these days from company who take this as a chance and not 100% uh, as a threat only. Yeah, you, know, you, you, you mentioned already, you know, companies that will be successful doing that, uh, but, uh, you know, and some of the requirements that are necessary for companies to be successful and coming out of this in a, in a proper way, because as what we've picked up also from discussions with China was that, you know, every crisis has winners as well. It's not just losers, right? And as mm -hmm. they said in China as well, if you come out of this crisis as, you know, I've survived it, you may have missed also on a lot of new opportunities. So how do you think, you know, companies, uh, you know, could recover from the current situation? And uh, you have any, any feel for what companies would come out of it as, as winners? <laughs> Interesting thing, huh? Again, silver bullet. I mean, if, if I mean conceptually, if you look at this, I would say going forward, um, I think we all expect a severe hit on what I would call the product business, so selling machines, these kind of things. Um, those are big investments, typically, um, and I think going forward, I don't know if the market demand really. Uh, is is at a point, you know, where everyone is ready to invest. You know, when you think about the economies in China, U.S., France, and so on that I mentioned in the in the first place, uh, this will take some time, you know, until these guys are ready to invest in in new equipment and um, uh, so to say. So, w w what's the alternative on that? I think there's there's two things I see at the moment, and there's two things that uh, resonate well in the discussions with our clients. So one is. Um, is what I would call the service business, you know, and, and there's, and we all know that there's manufacturing companies out there where the service business is really the majority uh, of the profit, uh, probably not necessarily of the revenues, but uh, the majority of the profits and it's growing and they really crack the nut on, you know, that the service business is not just, you know, selling parts. Um, so, uh, Taking a focus on that, uh, because you have an installed basis out there, uh, you probably have clients who will use their machines a bit longer than they have originally planned. Uh, you have customers who uh, are desperately uh, relying on, you know, the reliability of your machinery. So I think service going forward will have a, a greater impact and will have a greater emphasis on a, on a revenue and in particular on a profit stream of a manufacturing company. It very much depends on the size of your of your service business. I mean, we also know that there's companies out there who are still in the in the part selling business, so to say. Um, and there's always room to move. So, so here's a chance um, to kind of invest or put a focus on 
because we all know that you know most of the service businesses in the manufacturing companies are, are not haven't haven't been treated as a first priority going forward. So what we see there is is typically you know we have uh, kind of a, a lot of applications, we have a lot of processes, we have not really standards in there, and at the same time we have high end market demands in terms of speed, flexibility, and those kind of things. So I think there's a there's a good potential to add. Um, another revenue stream and also to streamline what's there and in particular uh, by adding digital technologies uh, to, to be very clear. So this is one area I could see. I mean this is not necessarily the one that will save everyone's neck uh, to be very clear um, but it's definitely an area where that, that could help a lot going forward you know. Uh, and I think servers coming out of that, uh, and this goes out to all the service leaders out there, uh, will have a different position in the firm than it has in the past. So this is certainly one, one of the areas I will see. The, the other thing is I really like to pick up on is, uh, and this is a very, very early thinking, um, the top line thing, you know. Um, I mean, we all know that in coming out of a manufacturing environment, and I'm an engineer by heart by myself, we are not the greatest sales experts. You know, we really love our, pro our products. We like we like to see them. You know how they work and how they perform and those kind of things. But that's a different capability than selling these things and selling propositions and so on. And I think you know when I pick up this you know hypothesis that the end markets are not really in buying mode. You know, going forward for a long time. So the market, you know, gets a little bit smaller than it was in the past, or probably quite a bit smaller when I look into, you know, kind of subsectors like like aerospace, for example. Um, I mean, if you want to make your numbers, you, you got to be better at the clients who want who do want to buy. So the whole sales excellence aspect of the business, I think, becomes a strategic priority going forward. That was always in the discussion, you know, in the past years, and we all have kind of most of our clients have started to implement, you know, pipeline tools so that they can see, you know, their sales pipelines and so on. But those tools are a foundational thing, you know, that are not not necessarily a capability that exists in a company as a strategic capability. I think investing in this part of the business uh, will add um, a long a long needed capability for a manufacturing client and will probably help uh, clients to end up as probably a, a better company than they went into the the crisis or probably a better company than their competitor so th those are two distinct areas i would quote as you know uh, things i would really look at uh, going forward next to the kind of the normal stuff, you know, the efficiency stuff, the cost things, and so on, that, that is in everyone's plate. But I think those two elements are not necessarily in everyone's plate, but I think they will make a big difference going forward. Yeah, I like that thinking. Uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of companies in manufacturing very active with uh, translating their the data that came out of their products and translating that into services. But there was still that missing link to you know, translating that in solutions their end users wanted to have. And, and there's this, uh, yeah, the way I understand you, right, may speed this up as well and create new chances and opportunities for those companies that are successful in doing that. Yeah, um, Vincent, it's, it's um, yeah, we as consultants, we always like to think about these big things, right, and, uh, you know, solutions and so on. I, I just talked to the CEO of a, of a large-scale engineering company, and uh, they went from, you know, engineering big projects, you know, into selling, you know, the, the, the wealth of data and the information which is in their data, 
and come up with solution businesses, you know. And one of the interesting things they found out is that, uh, A, um, that it's hard to sell solution business because it doesn't sell like a product. Uh, that's number one. And typically, you don't have the capabilities on board to sell solutions rather than selling products. So that's a different thing. And the other thing is the, that the client expectation, you know, in terms of paying for those solutions is not necessarily the same as the OEM's expectation, what they want for that. So it's hard to argue about a price and the revenue and all, and, and as a consequence, I know that the, the profit coming out of that for those kind of solutions. So you have to have a value proposition approach to that, which is also quite a bit of a new thing for a manufacturing company uh, these days. So that's the complex stuff, you know, that's uh, that's needed, I think, going forward. But there's also easier stuff, I think, available. And, you know, easier stuff, it, it almost sounds too easy to, to talk about it. But, you know, when, when you... Uh, when you listen in to certain sales conversations, you know, on, on client sides where there is suppliers and, and they want to sell something and you start asking them some questions on that, you, you see that they haven't really prepared themselves for the client situation. So they don't understand really the situation the client is in. Uh, they don't understand the impact of the machine they sell makes to their clients those kind of things, so they don't have the client Im impact situation, basically, uh, as such. Um, and and this, is a, this is, I think, uh, one of the things uh, I would suggest going forward. You know, this is something you could train with the existing sales staff, you know, to, to be, you know, walk in client shoes. You know, this is also what we teach our clients and our people. You know, walk in client shoes, understand their problem, understand what they want to solve, and understand what your thing, what your product, what your solution does to them. I think this is one of the areas you could start right away, you know, and this has a big, big impact because when you talk to your client this way and you understand him better than your competitor, you will make the sell. And I think this is important going forward, you know, over the next, I don't know, two to three years. Um, in a smaller market that you win, you know, instead of your competitor. And, and that's the only thing that counts, you know, in a market that gets a little bit smaller than it was in the in the old days. Yeah. I like that, uh, Thomas, that perspective. And, and actually, I always I had one more question for you, but it kind of already answers that question that I had, you know, about opportunities that you would think companies would have in this post-crisis. Um, but anything else that you would see that companies would have to consider right now? Well, I think we haven't touched really the um, the um, the human side of things, right? The talent side, uh, the people side of it, and um, uh, I think there's there's lot loads of story we can tell, uh, also from our organization. You know how we have coped with that, and you know how what we did, you know, to make sure that we stay close to our people and so on. Um, I, I think the whole notion of um, leading people uh, in a in a virtual or in a remote environment is uh, for most of our manufacturing companies um, a bit of a new thing uh, and you see that uh, leadership is a bit struggling you know with you know how they should really handle this situation uh, instead of having a big meeting in my office you know with you know five to ten people around my table and I know exactly what they have done the last five days, you know, and having them now on a video screen, <laughs> uh, not not really knowing what's going on, and you know, and at the same time, uh, making an impact from a leadership perspective. So there there is certainly something that needs to happen on a leadership level, I think, um, which is uh, I think something where everyone says, well, that's not me, you know, I don't have a problem, but. 
I would encourage everyone to kind of look into the mirror and rethink about, you know, how this looks like going forward. Because I would imagine that we see more of that virtual remote leadership thing going forward and not so much a, you know, we sit in planes and fly around thing, you know, which we have done in the past quite a bit, you know, and uh, most of the German manufacturing companies are in almost every country. Uh, so they are widespread across the globe. So there's a lot of coordination effort going around. Um, so this is definitely one of the, the new normal leadership capabilities you need to have, you know, so, uh, and this can be trained, by the way. So that's one thing. The, the other thing is, you know, we really haven't learned in the past to take care about our people, you know, when they are not with us. And the only time where they haven't been with us was on Christmas and when they were on vacation. And this is typically a time where you don't want to be with your company. Um, it can happen, you know, that going forward, we will see our people for a longer time not on site and don't have a physical contact with them because of COVID or any other disturbances. I think uh, we need to have uh, some, uh, I can say, some routines in place, you know, how we stay close with these people, in particular in situations where they live under a certain uh, fear that, you know, their workplace is not safe and those kind of things. So communication, staying close and those kind of things is certainly something which is very important uh, these days and can start right away if it hasn't started already. And the other thing is what we have seen um, before COVID, you know, so this is not a not a new thing, but the time actually is good for that is, you know, we know that there is enough digital uh, learning and uh, upskilling uh, opportunities out there in the market. So the technology is there, the content is there, but we really didn't didn't have the time to invest in that because we had full order books, you know, and we were growing like hell and no one really had the time, you know, to kind of go through that. Probably now is, is a bit of the time, you know, to kind of think about those things and uh, uh, prepare our people for the new normal, which will certainly be more digital than it was on the plan before. But I would start thinking about that. It's not a, a, a really expensive endeavor here. It can be really flexible. And uh, it's a good investment going forward because, as I said, the new normal will be more digital, will be more remote, will be more flexible, and we're not all prepared for that just by having, you know, eight weeks of, you know, video conferencing. Now, this needs a little bit more. So I would invest into this as well, which is a good investment going forward. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you, Thomas. So. Really interesting perspectives uh, you brought into this discussion. So really like to thank you for uh, having that time with me this afternoon. And um, you know, anything, any last things you wanted to mention? Oh, th thanks for having the chat. Um, appreciate if you would have the chat in probably another four weeks because things will change, you know, and we will see a different world in four weeks from now, you know, and there will be another one in eight weeks from now. But I think it's important to understand directionally where we're going. And probably a last thought, um, and that's the same medicine we are taking at the moment. Uh, we are all busy and taking measures, you know, to survive, you know, this, this situation. And we're all busy and taking, you know, measures, you know, how to cope with that and getting out of it better. And actually, we're coming at a point, and I see that point with some of the clients, that, you know, by taking those measures, and I talked about reconfiguration of supply chains and those kind of things. So if, if you want to take those measures, you know, I think you need to understand a little bit more about, you know, the, the, the more far out future, you know, in order to take the right measures, you know, and, you know, take the right points you want to change here. So, uh, but you don't know, and the glass ball doesn't tell you really exactly. So one of the things you could really start thinking of is to 
have a more concerted effort about, you know, what the future would look like, you know, in terms of a scenario thinking and, you know, what are the, the parameters you, you find to be critical for those scenarios and start monitoring those parameters uh, quite thoroughly and then take your actions based on that. So I think it's something what we call dynamic strategy, you could say. I mean, I call it as a manufacturing guy, it's just a dynamic planning going forward. But it's not so much, you know, take one point and then go there. It's it's more understand the broader the broader situation and understand the parameters who will impact them. I think that's a critical capability, uh, and you need to have them in place actually now, because otherwise you take the wrong decisions and the wrong measures for something that will probably hit you in six to twelve months down the road. Well, that was my last thinking. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Very good last edition, uh, and I, I take you up on that. Let's we'll, let's let's plan our next uh, you know call together uh, in about four weeks, and I'm curious about your perspective uh, by then. So thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you, Vincent. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Deloitte's Future of Manufacturing podcast. To subscribe or listen to more episodes, search for Deloitte Future of Manufacturing in your preferred podcatcher or find us online at Deloitte.com forward slash manufacturing podcast.